The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here on the show today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on our program, we're going to dive into the market action that we saw post-USDA reports and post-holiday weekend. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net going to join us for market analysis coming up here in segment two and three today. First up, though, we want to take a look at what's happening with the weather, the bitter cold Arctic air that has settled in across the country. We've seen snow, a lot of things to discuss. Joining us for a conversation, Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions as we dive right in here on today's Market Talk. And Eric, thanks for joining us. Bitter cold temperatures, snow, there's a lot going on. It's been a wild weather week, hasn't it, Eric? Man, oh man, uh, I know a lot of folks are freezing. It is extremely cold across pretty much the entire middle portion of the U.S. between the Rockies and the Appalachian Mountains. So uh, I guess just start with what we've been seeing before we talk about when this cold may finally get out of here for most of us. Um, it's been a wild weather week, hasn't it, Eric? It has. And, and every time this happens, there's always a, a clue or a precursor. And, and it usually starts either Greenland or Alaska. So at the end of December, we finally saw the cold air that was in Greenland, Alaska get displaced. And it just stored up in Western Canada. And it finally let out last week. And it's just diving all the way down into the southeast. And we still have two more rounds of cold air, the one today. And then there's another big high pressure cell that's coming in uh, late this week. So for like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we do expect it to go mild after that. Why? Because all the cold air is going back to Alaska and back to Greenland and the jet stream is starting to line itself back out rather than being really high amplitude. But what it did was it created, you know, two substantially large winter storms in the Midwest. And then one that just came in over the last couple of days, it hit the Mid-South, just, I mean, hammering some areas with snow like they normally don't see. And it shut down parts of the Mid-South. And remember, there was ice south of that. That same storm system is going up the East Coast today, but it's not a big, deep low that's curled up. It's more just overrunning on the edge of this really, really Arctic and, and cold air. About the only place that there isn't cold air across the country is honestly where I am. I'm in Phoenix today and it, it's very, I'm taking this off as soon as we're done because it's mild down here and um, <laughs> it's about the only spot that that still remains warm. In fact, I looked this morning, Arizona is the only state without some sort of a weather advisory watch or warning. We've got an ice storm in the Northwest. We've got the windshield watches and advisories in the midsection of the country, still a winter storm East. And so still active go of it here in the near term. But Here's the bigger picture thing with all of this. All of this nastiness in winter has brought in moisture. And I can't complain because as we do warm up next week and we start to melt the snow, guess where it's going to, it's going to go straight into the soil because the soils weren't cold before a lot of the snow came in. So there's up to two and a half inches of liquid in Iowa right now. And given that that state over the last four years has more than 40 inches in deficit in spots, they need every drop of this. So there is some good to be had with all of this. As the mild air comes back in, the snow begins to melt. We get to keep it. We don't have to let it all run off. We get to keep a lot of it in our soil uh, kind of system. So Mississippi's up 14 feet above low stage. I mean, there's so many things that were positive about all of this that we can't ignore, even though it was quite unpleasant. Yeah, quite unpleasant now. But as you said, things that are definitely a benefit moving forward as we think about spring planting. I know, you know, still a little ways to go, but 
uh, we got some ideas on that we're going to get to here in just a minute. Uh, but overall, um, very cold here in the U.S., folks having to bundle up. I know it's it's tough not only on humans, it's tough on livestock, too, when you get these bitter cold temperatures, Eric. It is. And I, I saw some, you know, there's some guys that are doing you know, what they call winter or spring calving right now. So if yeah. you imagine your, your first taste of, of life on this planet is wind chills of minus 50. There's some of that going on in Montana last week, and then still some really brutally cold air this week. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a rough go, but you, you'll actually talk to a lot of guys in livestock who are, have the, you know, most of them have the capability of keeping yeah. the cattle warm and they're more happy than anything because they're no longer standing in muck, you know, just muddy. It, it's all froze. It's a much better condition for the livestock. So, you, you know, it's one or the other, right? and it's, uh, it's yeah it's, it's a give tough. or take yeah, that's right tough, but it's a give or take that's for sure that's for sure let's talk south america real quick before we uh talk a little more long range here uh, i know we're getting on the cusp of harvesting in brazil for soybeans getting ready to plant the safrita cord crop a lot of eyes on south america we continue to see production cuts being made by various forecasting agencies and, and private groups etc so what is this weather situation looking like here as we get to mid-january and get to the early part of soybean harvest in brazil yeah so why don't we do this real quick review of what happened right so october november december driest on record for northern brazil it was wet in southern brazil extremely dry in northern brazil argentina is actually the wild card here argentina kind of snuck by with a decent spring and then recently into early summer, decent precipitation in Argentina right now could be this massive production wild card that, uh, you know, didn't, I, I don't think it got by everybody, but we were so focused on how dry it was in Northern Brazil that we didn't kind of see this or didn't give as much attention what was happening in, in Argentina. Well, since the start of the new year, it rained a lot in Northern uh, Brazil. So I'm talking about the center West region and the Northeast region. And the NDVI values have now jumped way up because you put a little water on a crop, it all of a sudden looks much more healthy. And from space, things are looking good. But that doesn't take away the damage that was done early to the crop, which is why you see numbers being reduced. Now, here's what I care about. Right now, over the next seven days, it's very dry in Northern Brazil again. That's not a problem because all the rain they just had. And the dryness is going to help, I think, with some early harvest progress. But I think the concern is going to be how the transition goes at the end of the month and the beginning of February back to wet in northern Brazil. So now we get into this problem, which we you know I've talked about the last few weeks. Wet is actually the problem. So if we stay wet, then they delay harvest. And if they delay harvest, they delay planting. Delay planting, you push the whole crop calendar back. And this could affect Safrina. And we do worry because there's an El Nino that the Safrina crop could get kind of curtailed on late season moisture in April. So there's still some risk on the table. I think, though, the wild card is Argentina in this overall picture for South America. Eric, you mentioned El Nino. I want to wrap up on this here for just a second. Uh, what are some of the early indications you're seeing for spring planting in the U.S.? And will El Nino stick around? Talk about that a little bit. I think a lot of us right now are discussing the pace at which El Nino collapses. So if it's got a slow demise, then our chances for most of North America, maybe not the Canadian prairie as much, but most of the United States of staying wet into spring is relatively high. Um, if it falls off like a rock and some of the U.S. models are predicting it doing that, then what we're going to watch is drought risk building into the plains first. So I think overall, much of the Midwest, we go back into a regime of concern about tighter windows. Uh, and then, I mean, they'll open, we'll get a crop planted, but it's just not this, you know, 
ideal thing where you get 10 days of dryness and then maybe two, three days of rain and then another 10. I, mean, I don't see that happening. I see actually much more frequent systems this upcoming spring. But the big unknown is if El Nino collapses fast, how does that transition into the late spring, early summer temperature and precipitation pattern? There are some indications that would suggest that it be maybe divide the country on the Mississippi River again with drier risks the farther west you go and wetter risks the farther east you go. Now that's very preliminary, but that's just a kind of a, an analog to what happens when El Ninos fall off. So just pay attention how quickly, or I'll pay attention to it and tell you about it, how quickly the <laughs> El Nino collapses. It's slow right now. So this it's not as though it just fell off the face of the earth. I think it's going to favor a more slow transition than a fast, which means tighter windows this spring. Well, we still got a few months, a lot of things to consider. Eric Snodgrass for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Learn more online ag-wx.com. Up next, we'll talk markets with Jim McCormick here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, so we got back to trading after the three-day holiday weekend. We had kind of a mixed bag in the markets of a quarter beans, a couple of cents either side of unchanged. While we saw some pressure in the wheat market, that might have been tied to a higher U.S. dollar. We're going to talk about what's happening in the trade. Joining us for a conversation, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, always good to talk with you. And uh, Happy New Year. Haven't talked to you in the new year yet. So uh, thanks for joining us again on the show. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Happy New Year's to you and your audience, and I hope everyone stays warm. I know, Jesse, talking to you all before line, you guys are dealing with snow um, where I'm at outside of Chicago. The snow came and went, and now it's just the bitter cold temps. We are not even above zero. We've got kids out of school, so uh, we are definitely in the throes of winter, plain and simple. We are uh, winter through a, a big old gut punch to us. And yeah, the Mid-South, we don't get a lot of snow. We got about seven inches here in uh, in Nashville and Music City. So it's uh, definitely an interesting uh, weather situation across the country. And hopefully folks are staying warm. I, I think, though, too, you know, looking at these markets, kind of a kind of a cold market, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, a mixed bag, but really felt like we were still kind of digesting some of what USDA threw our way on Friday, couple that with a, a higher US dollar and just kind of made for a, a blob-ish looking day in the grains, Jim. I think you nailed it. I mean, the, you know, we're definitely have a little bit of a hangover report. The reports on Friday, I'm sure you covered it already, has definitely been bearish. I mean, there really was hardly anything positive out there on that report, except for maybe the winter wheat acres, and that's about it. So we definitely had some hangover. Um, it was a three-day weekend. A lot of people are hoping for a change in trend. Lots of times you do see that coming out of three-day weekends. And, you know, we tried. The market tried to find some support overnight, at least in the corn and beans, and even the wheat, wheat to a little bit of extent, and it just didn't have a whole lot of success with it. Now, late in the day, the beans did come back a little bit. But yeah, we're uh, you know still struggling a little bit. The fact of the matter is the funds are carrying a really big short position. And um, at this point, they don't seem to be uh, in a big hurry to get out of it, unfortunately. 
Yeah, that short position, it's it's interesting as we watch that CFTC data. And and truthfully, Jim, you could probably expand upon this more. I, I don't feel like funds are going to do any sort of short covering until something hits this market news-wise that is bullish. I just feel like they're pretty confident right now hanging uh, with the big short positions that they have, Jim. Well, exactly. I mean, the reality is it's worked for them. I think the funds have been sellers in the beans this week. Uh, as of Friday, we're like seven weeks in a row. Carrying is one of the biggest short positions they've carried in multiple years. And when you look at the corn, beans, wheat, cattle, hogs, and kind of cotton position combined, they're carrying a short three, 450, 400,000 contracts. The last couple of years, they've been long anywhere from 400,000, 800,000 contracts. So yeah, we haven't seen this for a while, but unfortunately we've structured the market into a bear market structure in the grains. And what I mean by that is there's carry in the market. So these funds just stay short. And instead of being penalized to roll it like they do on bull markets, they just buy low and then turn around and sell it higher the next month out and then wait for that next month to fall where they got out at. And uh, it's going to get something to get them out. Now, the market will eventually get out. I mean, that's why you always hear the Elliott wave counts talk about ABC corrections and five wave counts. This market will not go straight down. We will have rallying opportunities. But uh, at the moment, we have yet to see any reason to knock these funds out of the shorts. I think it will come eventually, but uh, timing is everything. Well, Jim, as I look at these markets, too, and as we digest the numbers that USDA threw our way, I, I know there's a, a lot of farmers and ranchers who are, are pretty disappointed with, with how the markets look right now. And in terms of trying to make money, doesn't seem like there's a, a great opportunity out there to make a whole lot here, especially uh, with the quartered soybean markets right now, Jim. Right now, there's no doubt about it, Jesse. This is a problem. I mean, if you were a producer and you sold a lot of grain early in the game, you know, these later bushels are being sold at a pretty low price, but maybe you've got an average price when it's all said and done above your cost of production. But unfortunately, there's a lot of producers just did not get this grain market sold for various reasons this summer. A lot of it was because when the rally did happen, there was a very big fear of what size of crop you're going to have, and the producers just didn't feel comfortable selling it. And right now, when you look at the percent sold, it is, I would argue, kind of a historically low number right now from what some of our commercial contacts are saying. Some farmers are carrying up to 75, 80 percent of the bushels are unsold, where normally they may be about 40 percent sold in certain locations. So uh, you now got a negative cash flow for old crop for some producers. New crop right now, unfortunately, is also with the break in prices for the most part are now negative cash flowing. I know the U of I sent out some generic balance sheets late last week that were showing it really didn't matter where you were at in the, at least in the state of Illinois, it was going to be a negative cash flow season. It was just, you know, how negative it was going to be. So uh, right now it's definitely a little bit frustrating, but hopefully we can get somewhat of a dead cat bounce, at least somewhere down the line that we traditionally have. A dead cat bounce of some sort would be nice because I think Jim, to your point about the lack of crop that has been sold or marketed, there's really no, I don't know if there's a right answer. Obviously, every situation comes down to your specific operation, but I know there's a lot of folks that at this point in time, those bin doors are slammed shut, hoping for something here to try and make sense of you know, what they have and realizing that they might have missed the opportunity here back last summer, Jim. Well, the reality is that's what it feels like right now. I mean, sometimes you just got to be honest. You missed it. I mean, we're human. Um, marketing is one of the more challenging things to do it. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to take that data that you have now and run with it. I mean, I, I know a lot of producers are questioning 
us having essentially a record crop, um, which is what they came out with on Friday. But the reality is that's the number we're going to run with. And we're going to run with it until unless the government changes. And the fact is that gives the commercial incentive just to kind of wait the producer out, I fear. I mean, money's going to be tight. We know we got the interest rate hikes have come on. The cost of money is building. And I think there's going to be pressure to, for producers to sell some of that grain that's in their bins as opposed to borrowing so much money to finance this upcoming crop, which the price of you know trying to get it in it has come down. But it's still going to be quite expensive compared to, you know, recent history. So uh, it's a situation that, you know, it's it's a bad one to be in right now. And the only thing I tell producers out there, Jesse, is, you know, the market, unfortunately, doesn't owe you a profit. You, you've got to understand that if anybody's in the hog industry right now knows that the hog industry, you know, has been brutal recently and the grain market could do the same thing. So sometimes you got to figure out where you're going to cut your losses and try to move on. Um, my recommendation for producers out there that feel like they need to get sales done, try to take a more of a mathematical approach to it. Look at the charts, um, look at where you want to start selling it and get the orders working. Because if we would get a rally, and I do believe we will eventually, my guess is it's going to be relatively short lived because unfortunately, there's a lot of producers out there that are going to be trying to sell this rally. Well, and to that point too, Jim, I was going to ask, I feel like at this point in time, if you're doing any sort of marketing, I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of tools in the toolbox. You could get a little creative to try and leave your top side open in some cases. I know it depends on what exactly you're doing in terms of your marketing, but there are some options out there to try and minimize as much risk as possible, even with these lower prices, right? Well, you've got it. I mean, there's. it depends how much risk you want to take. Some producers may want to buy calls now with the anticipation that we will potentially get a rally. Some producers may you know, want to maybe try to buy some paper after they do sell the rally. I mean, it's always darkest before the dawn, as they say. Right now, it's pretty dang gone dark and cold out there. And I know it's incredibly frustrating, but you know, don't give up hope just yet. I mean, like I said, the numbers definitely look negative. You've got to be honest with yourself. But the reality is the Safrina crop, it has yet to even be planted. Um, they're dealing with, interesting enough, almost too much rain in portions of Brazil right now. If that would continue, they delay getting the Safrina crop planted. Then all of a sudden, we're going to talk about the Safrina crop running out of water, which could give a reason for the rally. The U.S. corn acreage, I think you're going to get a debate now. Like I mentioned, the reality is the corn balance sheets and the bean balance sheets are really, really ugly. I think you're going to start hearing a debate of how many corn acres are we going to lose due to the negative cash flow where people may choose to go to a little bit less expensive crop to plant. Those are the storylines that I think that will eventually give this market an opportunity to rally. But if you get that opportunity, I'm going to fully throw it and say, hey, look, you need to sell into that. And if you want to play the what if by the calls, I mean, because I think, Jesse, what we went through this last year, it was a really strange summer. We had a lot of heat, record amount of heat. We had dryness and look where we ended up at. That is probably going to limit some of the bullish enthusiasm here in 2024. So maybe sell if you get the opportunity to get above break even sell it and then maybe use an option play for the what if, because, you know, this may be the year where the market does react because maybe the crop does fail because we do know looking at the drought monitor, there's parts of the country, especially like in Iowa, that are incredibly dry as we speak. 
Well, once again, we're having a conversation today with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net, and we will continue that conversation to come up here after the break. Again, kind of a mixed bag in quarter beans with wheat under pressure on Tuesday. March corn was down three and a half, 443 and a half. March beans three higher, 1227 and a quarter. March Chicago wheat 14 lower, 582. March Kansas City wheat down 13 to three quarters, 601 and a half. And March spring wheat down eight and three quarters, 690 and three quarters. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Jim McCormick from agmarket.net as uh, we recap the market action coming out of the three-day holiday weekend, kind of a mixed bag in uh, grains and livestock. And Jim, something else I want to ask you about too, I mean, with prices where they are at, let's look at the demand side of this picture. I, how cheap do we have to get to maybe spur some more demand potentially for U.S. commodities? Is that something that could maybe help give a lift to this market if we can find some demand here, Jim? Well, I think it would help. I mean, we did get a little bit of revision on the demand side, at least on the corn balance sheet, Jesse, on Friday. But unfortunately, the offset of the increase in demand was offset by increase in production. So mm -hmm. it kind of muted it. But yes, if we could get more demand, that would help. Uh, Mexico for corn has really done uh, done the heavy lifting on the corn side of the equation. If they would continue, that would help. You know, the, there was a little bit of negative news on the world front. The USDA raised the China crop by 10 million metric tons. Now, in the big picture, Jesse, we even like to take China out of our balance sheet when we look at the world supply demand because they do not export. They only import. So in that case, I don't think it's a, it's a major game changer, but the reality is I think there was some hope or optimism that maybe China would come in and buy some U.S. corn. Well, with them having a 10 million metric ton crop bigger than what the, well, what the trade was thinking, that probably takes the odds of them buying, getting aggressive, buying a lot of U.S. corn. It, it, it decreases the chances. They always could, but it does decrease the chance. Uh, another thing, too, uh, thinking of demand, I, I know we have a lot of shipping concerns around the world between the low water on the Panama Canal, all the issues in the Middle East and the Suez Canal right now, We're seeing a lot of the freight rates get jacked way up uh, and a lot of uh, shippers have to go around the Horn of Africa. How much do you think some of those issues are playing into our markets right now, Jim? Well, hopefully it'll play into being a little bit more friendly. I mean, it just becomes a lot of the cost. I mean, it's kind of a two-edged sword, like you said. I mean, getting stuff around the Horn of Africa, I've heard it's costing an extra 10, 20 days and an extra million dollars. So it's getting more expensive. You know, so you're like, okay, if I'm going to get it to, you know, Europe, that's fine. But if you're trying to get it to Asia, you know, you can only ship so much off the P&W or out of L.A., per se, in boxes. You, you know, the most efficient way traditionally is get it down the, down the rivers and go through the Panama Canal, which has got a problem. So, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, you, you make it up in one hand and you lose it in the other hand right now. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, if the dollar would start to work lower, that would help a lot. It rallied quite a bit today. And I think that was part of the reason why the market was under a little bit of pressure was that higher dollar. 
Um, but yeah, you know, the real thing we need to see is some export demand. Beans. I think the last flash sale I saw for bean demand was like December 19th. So we've gone almost a month since we had a big flash sales of beans. And that's, you know, it's not unheard of for this time of year because this is when the, you know, the Chinese transfer their buying from Brazil to US. But, uh, you know, that just shows you what happens. And if you look what the market's done since China quit buying, the market's going down. I mean, it is, you know, the market's job right now is to get low enough to do two things potentially discourage acres being planted as well as encourage demand. And, and thinking of the acre side of that, we, we kind of alluded to this earlier. I want to talk a little more about that with you, your thoughts, maybe what you're hearing from producers in phone conversations or, uh, you know, traveling around it's meeting season, you know, seeing these prices, I wonder how much, you know, are we going to see corn, bean, wheat acres? I'll throw cotton in there too. Cotton prices have been looking pretty good. How much shifting around do we think we could see by the time spring planting rolls around? I would have to wonder if some of those fringe acres could potentially be at play here. Some of those non-traditional corded soybean areas of the U.S., Jim. What do you think? I think you're right. I mean, in general, I mean, American producers tend to produce what they're going to produce. I mean, they get yeah. into the rotation, they stay in the rotation. It, it, you know, if they try to break out of the rotation, usually it, it bites people when it's all said and done. But the reality is when, you know, we're, like I said earlier, we're, we're running a lot of these numbers, unfortunately, are running into negative cash flows. Um, so I do think you're going to see some fringe acres shift. The Dakotas are going to be interesting. You're bringing on more of these crushing plants in that part of the country. So it's going to, you know, you take the more crushed facilities coming in, being built up in that part of the world, combined with higher input costs for corn, it's going to say, hey, go to beans. And then maybe even the parts of the Midwest, you're just going to see some guys shift. And that debate is going to get very, very heated over the next couple of months. We'll have in February, we'll have the USDA Outlook Forum, and then we'll have our, the survey numbers here at the end of March. But there's going to be a real debate, I think, of what producers are going to do. There's also a debate right now, you know, how many acres, Safrina acres we're going to plant down yeah. in Brazil because of the break in prices and the cost of everything right now. So uh, those are the things I think potentially could give this market a rally. But, you know, you, you got to remember, Jesse, if you only lose two or three million acres of corn and we manage to have a trend yield with our carry and where it's at, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that acreage rally probably ought to be sold, you know, and then defended in case we would happen to have a weather problem. I mean, you, you know, the reality is, we're going the wrong way. We are building stocks domestically and internationally as a whole. And when the market's doing that, in general, the market weakens as it essentially is in a mode to dissuade production and essentially stimulate demand. So until we see a change, a wholehearted change, folks, of either losing production in South America, where they get into the bean yields and they see, wait a second, those bean yields are not there. Some there's some people saying that crop's down to 130. The USDA is at 157. You know, you you start hearing more people get confident that you're below 150, 140. That's where you're going to get the psychological change. But until you actually see drastic losses or drastic acreage adjustment, and essentially the net world stocks going down, you've got to take a bearish attitude, I believe, to the market and say rallies are meant to be sold. Livestock thoughts from you. Cattle had a decent day Tuesday. Hogs, though, uh, pulling back finally after we saw some uh, quite a number of sessions in a row higher in hogs. Uh, your thoughts on this protein sector overall, Jim? Uh, what are some things that stand out to you right now? 
Well, the cattle market's starting to work a little bit higher. I think it's, you know, it's trying to take out some moving average resistance. I'd like to see that happen. I mean, we know cold weather is definitely, you know, tends to obviously slow down the production of cattle. Um, beef supply and all that. So that's trying to bleed into the market. Now I'm a little bit concerned about demand because, you know, it's bitter cold right now. No one wants to go out to eat, but uh, you know, the reality is that's only going to change here in a couple, you know, within a week, 10 days, we're going to be back in the forties in Chicago. So hopefully that's a good sign. The hogs, like you said, they're correcting a little bit. You know, the big thing right now is just like any of these commodities right now, Jesse, it's all about demand right now. We need to keep this demand coming to the market without demand. The market's going to continue to work weaker. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, any other final thoughts from you, Jim, uh, before we let you go today? Obviously, uh, watching that dollar, we alluded to that higher on the day Tuesday. We're watching energies, outside markets, all that stuff playing into uh, the picture here in grains and livestock. A any notes there or anything else you want to mention to reiterate for folks today? Well, I'm going to reiterate, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. Um, you know, we got a presidential election just officially started, I guess you could argue officially started with Iowa caucuses yesterday. Politically, you've got that going on. Half the world, I think, is going to vote for new elected leaders this year for the first time ever. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty in the world. Ukraine, what's going on in the Middle East. Um, this market really does feel pretty ugly right now. We will get opportunities to sell that market. Right now, in the cold of winter, when you're locked in your office, because no one wants to be moving grain right now, um, work up a plan. Give us a call at AgMark or call one of your any financial advisor you got. Now is the time to make a, you know, a non-emotional decision of what you're going to do and then try to execute the plan, not just for the 24 crop, but also the 25 crop. And you know, once you make that plan, Jesse, I'm going to tell you, get the orders working, because when you do get moves, they are going to be very violent, but they're probably not going to last just based on the setup of the market. Well, Jim, as you mentioned, folks can reach out to you guys with questions. I know uh, agmarket.net, they can give you guys a call. And also, uh, you guys got your conference coming up in Nashville here in just a few weeks that uh, I'm looking forward to attending myself. Uh, give us a plug for uh, all of that real quick here, Jim. Exactly. We've got a big uh, a conference come up in Nashville um, it is the Sunday, uh, the first weekend of February. I believe it's the 4th and 5th, Sunday afternoon of the 4th. Uh, we've got a lot of special guests coming, talking about weather, Eric Snodgrass. And then on the morning of the 5th, or the day of the 5th as well, um, please come. I think we're very excited. There is a lot to talk about. Jesse's going to be there. You ever want to meet Jesse one-on-one? -on -one? You want to get your uh, get that selfie with the man? He will be there. And if you really want, I'm sure he'll let you put you on, put you on that radio if you like to talk. Um, but no, we are excited about it. We think, you know, unfortunately, this market is going to give us a lot of challenges in 2024, but challenges also present opportunities if you prepare for it. So, uh, you know, call our office 844-424-6758 or go to agmarket.net if you're interested in, in coming down into our conference. I'll have that microphone handy coming up at that conference here in a few weeks. That is for sure. And again, learn more at agmarket.net. Jim McCormick, always good to talk with you, my friend. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me on. And once again, appreciate it. Jim McCormick there with agmarket.net joining us today on Market Talk. Let's recap some of the closing numbers again uh, here real quick on the corn side on Tuesday. March corn, three and a half lower, 443 and a half. 
We look at uh, July corn that was down four to quarter, four sixty four. December new crop corn four and a half lower, four seventy seven at a quarter. March beans three higher, twelve twenty seven at a quarter. July soybeans up two and a half, twelve forty six and three quarters. New crop November beans down a quarter penny, twelve oh one at a quarter. Soybean meal for March nine dollars a ton higher, three seventy one ten. March bean oil down one hundred points, forty seven twenty five. March Chicago wheat fourteen lower, five eighty two. July down thirteen and a quarter, six oh five and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat thirteen and three quarters lower, six oh one and a half. July KC wheat down fourteen and a quarter, six oh nine. March spring wheat eight and three quarters lower, six ninety and three quarters. July down seven and a quarter, seven ten and a quarter. We look over at livestock. February live cattle up one seventy five, one seventy three twelve. April up a dollar, one seventy five seventeen. Feeder cattle January ninety seven higher, two twenty seven fifty five. March up one twelve, two twenty eight eighty two. February hogs down one twelve, seventy seventy seven. April hogs down one oh five, seventy seven fifty seven on Tuesday. We'll take a look at news headlines and wrap up today's Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today as we take a look at news headlines before we wrap up the program. A controversial legal doctrine with wide-ranging impacts may come to an end soon. Travis Cushman, Deputy General Counsel for Litigation and Public Policy with the American Farm Bureau, explains the premise of the Chevron deference. What it does is it instructs courts to defer to a federal agency's interpretation of a legal statute. Unfortunately, what it has done in practice is it's led to the creation of a super branch of government and the burgeoning of the administrative state. What happens is federal agencies are able to interpret and craft the laws as they see fit without input from Congress or the role of the judiciary in providing a check on federal agencies. Cushman says the Supreme Court is set to hear oral arguments determining the future of the doctrine. The Supreme Court for years has been looking at this closer and closer, and it has finally agreed to evaluate whether or not this doctrine should be overturned. On January 17th, the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in two cases that seek to overturn Chevron. And he talks about what the Supreme Court's decision could mean for U.S. farmers and ranchers. The case could have pretty significant far-reaching impacts on how government operates, returning greater power to to Congress and the courts and making it harder for federal agencies to push their power. That means the governing agencies that regulate agriculture will have much less ability to arbitrarily enact laws they shouldn't be doing, including many key environmental statutes like the Clean Water Act and the Endangered Species Act. That's Travis Cushman with the American Farm Bureau. Well, the 21st annual Minnesota Organic Conference was held January 11th and 12th in St. Cloud, Minnesota. The state's commissioner of agriculture, Tom Peterson, talks about the organic farming industry in the state and says the response to this year's event was outstanding. Sold out vendors, 80 vendors, you know, so when you look at the organic uh, industry in Minnesota and just, you know, we'll say we have 600 plus organic farms, but there's a lot of farmers who are maybe not certified, but they're interested in some aspect of it or learning about it, being closer to the soil, the marketing, maybe looking at it down the road. But that's really impressive and great to see the interest. And 
Peterson says the organic sector continues to grow in Minnesota. Just the diversity in agriculture. And you'd say, like, my grandpa told me one time, like, organic might be for every farm, but it's not for every farmer. And so uh, you're just saying, like, this is a niche, and it's important to fill that uh, piece that it's uh, really continues to have steady growth. You know, it's not incredible growth, but it's steady growth. And so we continue to see consumers that are interested in the product, and, and we have the opportunity to provide it. So. And he says the demand for organic milk is growing and co-ops are looking for farmers to make that transition. You know, some of the co-ops are here actually looking for dairy farms right now, looking for organic folks to transition. And so that's a real positive. Now, Peterson, who also farms, arrived early to take in a breakout session regarding virtual fencing. I got here early to learn more about virtual fencing. You know, I've got a, a lot that I was like, I don't really want to fence it, but I'd like to put some animals out there. So I personally got here early to learn more about that. Pretty cool to see you can move your cows on your phone, you know, Joe. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I might not be for me, but maybe my son could help me with that, you know. And That's Minnesota Commissioner of Agriculture, Tom Peterson. Well, House Speaker Mike Johnson says he won't rip up the top-line spending deal he struck with Senate Democrats, despite pressure from hardline conservatives to scrap the plan for deeper cuts. But USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack still has concerns. Now, Speaker Johnson says weeks of negotiations with top Senate Democrat Chuck Schumer produced billions in hard-won cuts to the IRS and a clawback of COVID funds in a bid to avert two shutdown deadlines, the first of which is Friday, and that would affect USDA. Now, GOP hardliners demanded bigger cuts and border policy changes, but Johnson said he'll stay the course to let appropriators finish spending bills, though that may take another funding extension or continuing resolution. Now, USDA Secretary Vilsack argued on a Zoom press call against a long CR and for full funding of the Women, Infants, and Children, or WIC, nutrition program. So if Congress were to pass a continuing resolution and not a full-year appropriation, we would be confronted with major shortages at the end of the fiscal year. If Congress were to fund the program at the current lower continuing resolution level for the remaining months of the fiscal year, it would result in a billion dollar shortfall. Vilsack is lobbying lawmakers for $1.4 billion to meet increased WIC demand and if funds run out early due to faster spending. It would be the equivalent of one and a half months of benefits for all program beneficiaries. In other words, we would run out of money a month and a half before the end of the fiscal year. To put it in a slightly different way, the $1 billion shortfall equals the estimated cost of providing six months of benefits to all pregnant women and infants participating in WIC. Now, Vilsack says many states would have to consider implementing waiting lists for applicants to reduce costs, but the House and Senate must still reach agreements on full-year spending bills, a challenge given House hardliners haven't given up their fight for bigger cuts and conservative policy riders. Well, carbon credits are an evolving market as more players get involved and as demand continues to rise. So how do you know that you're making the right decision when or if you decide to enter the carbon market on your farm? Travis Kraft, Director of Sales for Indigo Ag in the carbon credit space, offers some perspective. But first, he talks about Indigo Ag's start in the carbon market. 2020, 2021, we really started to look hard on how our uh, our products were performing in the industry, but also how growers were transitioning. At, at, at the ping word at that time was regenerative ag, right? How do we get involved with that? What what changes can we help make through cover cropping, through uh, grazing livestock, through tillage, different things like that? But as we got into remote sensing data and really getting deep into soil science, that's when it really got special from a standpoint of we can help make real tangible change and show the data behind 
find it and assist that grower or whoever we're working with with the correct information to help maximize their efficiencies and get past where they may be stuck at. The big question farmers have is how much their carbon is worth. There is multiple metrics to actually talk about whether you are at risk of a reversal, meaning that you could let carbon back into the atmosphere, or you have a permanence factor, meaning it's going to go deep into the soil. The more your permanence factor goes up, the higher that carbon credit is worth. So whether you're sitting at $37, $47, $57 a credit, the longer that thing stays in the soil or the more practices that you can prove that you've done over time, the higher that credit value would be worth today and in the future as well. If you're just currently just turning and turning and turning, the value of those credits is going to be very little. You can look at any other industry. There are over 175 different carbon credit financial models in the world. Ag fits a very small space, only 8% of the entire market, but they're worth the most because they have the largest amount of opportunity to sequester that much more carbon. And once again, that's Travis Kraft, Director of Sales with Indigo Ag in the Carbon Credit Arena. Well, we're out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks to Jim McCormick with agmarket.net, as well as Eric Snodgrass for joining us on today's show. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk.